When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Manchester's indie rock and roll station. Excess Manchester. The Excess Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. Welcome to season two of The Excess Long Player. We're back, baby! I'm Jim Salverson, and every single episode I'll be taking another classic album and dissecting it with one of the people who helped make that album great. Be it a songwriter or a musician or a producer, or in the case of today's Excess Long Player, a frontman. Because on this podcast, we're going to be looking at the debut album from The Vaccines, What Did You Expect from The Vaccines, with Justin Young. This is an album that has just, as I recorded this interview, celebrated its 10th anniversary. Just a few months before, the band released their fifth and, again, at the time of recording, current album, The Brilliant Back in Love City. Really enjoy this chat with Justin, who is a man who is clearly very proud of this debut album and still loves making music with the band. There's a few sound issues on both ends of this conversation. Justin, because he was at Soundcheck when I chatted to him, and from my end, because, well, because computers are pricks. But I hope it doesn't spoil your enjoyment of this brilliant chat with Justin Young from The Vaccines about The Vaccines' debut album. What did you expect from The Vaccines? Vaccines. How you doing, Justin? I'm very well, thank you. Where are you at this moment? Because there's a bit of noise and commotion going on behind you. So describe your surroundings. Well, I'm in a room that I was assured would be private and quiet in the rabbit warren that is HMB Empire in Coventry, about to play a show. But there are kind of local techs coming in and picking mic boxes and XLR cables and all that sort of stuff out of big trunks. So forgive the, yeah, forgive the banging and the clattering. I like it. It's adding a bit of atmosphere to our conversation. We're going to talk about, obviously, your tour at the moment, celebrating your new album. It came out just a couple of days ago. But we're actually talking about something from the very beginning of your journey, 2011, your debut album, What Became, What Did You Expect from the Vaccines? And I want to go straight What Became of the Vaccines? (laughs) That's your next album, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So what did you expect from the vaccines? I want to go straight in with the first track, if that's all right, and talk about Ra 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 Wrecking Ball, which I can't think of many opening tracks to albums that set out a stall quite as effectively as this song does. What was the idea behind it? Was that the idea behind it? To let people know what they're getting in this short, sharp, melodic, almost Buzzcocks, Ramonesque pop punk song? Was this you going, boom, this is it, we're the vaccines? Yeah, I think we felt like it sort of 
maybe embodied our mo it been i think it'd been well it was our first single with blow it up so it's the first piece of music people had heard anyway and it but yeah it felt like a statement of intent i suppose and a kind of a good indicator of what was to come over the next 30 minutes and i think you know we always you know we always like the idea of starting every record with the bang and so so this is the first record any of us had ever made i guess mm. yeah you said it's the first record any of you had made and it was a record that was made when i understand the band hadn't really been around a great deal of time when this record was made four months wasn't it between the band getting together and the album being either recorded or released did it feel like it was this whirlwind that you kind of blinked and suddenly you'd hit the big time? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. We'd all been sort of like, you know, struggling musicians in London for quite a few years. Like, you know, we went 16, 17. We were kind of 23, 24, 25. So we'd all sort of like been around the block, done four or five nights open mic. You know, four or five nights a week of open mic nights and been in failed bands and done session work and all that sort of stuff. And it what I don't think it was four months, but it was certainly really quick. Mm. And, I, you know, by the time we got a record deal... We'd sort of written the entire album and all that sort of thing. And that was like over the course of a summer break from university. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it did feel like a bit of a world where it felt like kind of being in the eye of the storm a bit. I think none of us really were sure what was going on or how long it was going to last or what was going to happen. But it was, it was exciting and very anxiety inducing as well, if I'm honest <laughs> with you. How did that kind of short lead time in terms of those relationships affect the recording process? Because I talk to bands about recording albums, particularly debut albums, where the pressure is really on. And I think those relationships that they have with each other, that kind of shared history is what stops them killing each other. But here you've got guys you've known for a relatively short amount of time thrown together in a studio. Do you think that offered a different dynamic? Well, I think we're probably in some ways, I hope at least sort of, kinder to each other because we didn't have that shared history but you know we were you know we were friends and we have been mm. friends for a while I'd been friends with Freddie and Arnie for a couple of years I didn't know Pete as well but Arnie knew Pete and so they were old friends and and also you know I think when things are going well you know it's it's quite easy to be nice to the people around you when things are going well it's when it when when you're really challenged is when things aren't going so well so we've all, all sort of felt like we were riding this wave of excitement together and and I think we were all just really happy to be there I think generally speaking, I mean, not. I'm not going to lie. I think there were there were some tense moments, but I think that's part of any working relationship, I suppose. How collaborative was that recording process between yourself and your bandmates? Because you notice on the back of the album, all the songs have got joint credits. It's all the vaccines rather than maybe individuals. Was there a kind of band of brothers thing going on that everyone was in it together? Everyone was genuinely collaborative to produce these ideas? Yeah, I hope so. And I think, you know, we were... I think we were all equally responsible for bringing those songs to life. I think without any one of us, they wouldn't have sounded as they did. So I think that's very much what you hear is a result of all four of us like playing those, those particular songs together. And yeah, I, I guess, you know, every band, I suppose, works differently. But I think it's called a band for a reason, I guess. When you put the album on, I think one of the things that comes out of the speakers instantly, going back to this album and rediscovering it 10 years on, for me was it's this fast punky energy it's it's fueled by energy and i've read interviews with you previously where you've said that one of your major concerns recording this album was trying to capture the energy of that band on tape how was it that you overcame that during the recording process i mean there were lots of little tricks we'd pull i did all the vocals on a handheld kind of sm58 sort of microphone which is not something you'd ordinarily use if you know, Columbia Records were paying for you to make a record and that we sort of put that through. We played everything live, you know, so the back, again, that, that's, I suppose, 
historically was common practice, but maybe not something you do, or we certainly don't do as much of anymore. But I suppose it was just, you know, you're trying to create an environment where you kind of trick yourselves into feeling excited and energized every time, you know, you're told to play it again, but slightly better. I don't really know. I think that is the kind of, if, if I knew the answer to that, if a producer or a manager or a label knew the answer to that, I think that they'd, I think they'd get better results more often. I'm not really sure. I think sometimes you just have to rely on, on the gods, really. I remember the Strokes having a similar thing when they were recording Is This It? And we spoke to Gordon Raphael on the series, the producer there, a few weeks back. And obviously you brought in Albert Hammond Jr. as a producer on a couple of the tracks, Wetsuit and Tide Blood, he's involved in. Was part of the thinking about... And there is a lot of strokes in this album, I think. I think you can hear the influences there. So was part of the thinking in bringing in Albert, maybe maybe capture the energy in the same way? Well, funny enough, so actually Albert didn't produce Wetsuit. He produced Tiger Blood, but Tiger Blood came after What Did You Expect? But very much like, you know, so in the respect that he he was someone that we obviously massively looked up to, like Strokes, one of our favourite bands. And we played with Arctic Monkeys in New York and Albert had been there and he'd suggested we did some recording at his place up in upstate New York. And I think when you're offered to go record with one of your heroes, you know, you don't say no. So that's what we did. And yeah, that's obviously a massive learning curve or experience or whatever. And I think every time you go in the studio with someone you respect and assume knows slightly more than you do or slightly better than you do, you come out the other side grateful for it. How does that work in terms of a producer-artist relationship? Because obviously there's an element in that relationship of sharing ideas and working in collaboration. And obviously... I imagine butting heads as well and kind of coming up against opposition and challenging each other. When you've got someone who you have that level of respect for, who has been part of your musical influences, does it almost become difficult to challenge them? Yeah, but I think you have to have faith in your own conviction and remember that it's your art, it's not their art. And you also have to hope that you're working with producers who respect you too. You know, they're in a room with you because they like what you do. So that so you hope that there's to a certain degree at least like a kind of an equal or an even mm. you know amount of respect on either side and I think that I've certainly learned that the longer we've been doing this that if, if you really believe in something you have to fight for it but equally if someone's really fighting you on something there might be a reason for it so I think it's about finding that balance. I'm going to ask you in a minute Justin to pick a couple of highlights off the album if that's okay it can be a musical highlight favorite tracks something that sparks off a memory or something along those lines it's completely up to you <laughs> I wanted to pick a track to talk about before we do that, Norgard, because it's a song that I remember playing on the radio loads when it first came out, written about the Danish supermodel Amanda Norgard, who was actually then yes. brought in to do the promo video for the song. I want to know whether yeah. that was yes. a weird experience, yeah. because you'd written this kind of love song for a model, and then suddenly you're working yes. alongside her. Was that awkward, well... or was that just part of the plan? <laughs> Not really, because to contextualise it, she was a contemporary or a, like loosely a, a friend of mine, and okay. and I I'd, I'd been you know hanging out with her for, for a while, and so it was it kind of wrote the song as a bit of a joke to be honest, and didn't really expect many people at the time, other than maybe her and a few of our friends, to ever hear it, and so there was already a direct point of contact when we suggested she did the video. But yeah, it's quite funny. She's you know. I haven't seen her for ages, but she used to she used to come and see us whenever we played in Copenhagen and 
definitely sung the loudest uh, when we played her song. <laughs> Singing along to her own song, love it. Um, yeah. Pick a highlight off the album, Justin, something that brings back brilliant memories or a musical highlight or just takes you back to those early recording days. I think, like, for me, it's really, it's really hard not to be or not to pick if you want to, just because it's not necessarily my favourite song, musically speaking, but if I think back to the day, I can picture exactly where I was stood in the room when I started singing the chorus out loud for the first time. I remember where I was stood when I wrote, wrote the verses and I remember how I was feeling at the time. And so that song, you know, completely changed our lives. And I think the album would be very different without it. And our lives would probably be very different without it. And every time we play it live, you know, obviously it gets an amazing reaction and I'm, and I'm transported back to, you know, pivotal gigs and pivotal moments in the band's career and then right back to that first time we played it in a rehearsal room. And I, I'm not a particularly spiritual person and I always sort of like roll my eyes a bit when I hear of other musicians talking about, you know, being kind of empty vessels or whatever for this kind of higher power or whatever. But, um, you know, I do often wonder what life would look like if that song hadn't come to me. One of the things I do remember, Justin, when this album first came out in 2011 was some of the music press were a little bit sniffy about you guys being too posh to be a punk band, which is a ridiculous thing to level at someone. Did that kind of attitude or those kind of comments hurt at the time that there was this focus on you guys as people in your backgrounds rather than maybe the music you were creating? Yeah. I mean, it is a ridiculous statement. It's not true either. I mean, I think Freddie probably can't hide the fact he's posh, but I, not all, you know, all four of us certainly are not or were not. Um, and even if we were, I'm not really sure how relevant that is, but mm. I suppose we could get, you know, could write a thesis on that, couldn't we? But like, um, it did hurt, but only because none of us were really used to having attention in the way that we were getting it. And, you know, such as the human condition for every 10 positive comments or reviews the one that keeps you awake at night is, is the what is, is the one negative one you know but I think it allowed us to develop some pretty thick skin and I think 10 years in I feel really proud of that record I feel really proud of our legacy and I feel really proud of what we do and I love what we do and actually I can't really say fairer than that can you the album finishes well it doesn't quite finish on somebody else's child because there's a hidden track on the album after that which I think was I mean, that, that, that's a throwback to the days of the cassette, putting like a hidden track on an album. It wasn't so common in 2011, so I absolutely love the fact that it's on there. But before you get to the hidden track, you've got Somebody Else's Child, which is, I mean, it almost feels a little bit out of place on the album because it's this much softer, slower, tenderer tune than everything else that comes off it, which is this frenetic, energy-filled album. Was it important for you to kind of have that wind down, to show that texture at the end of this album? I I think we liked the idea of, yeah, sort of getting to the end of the record and then sort of show, yeah, showing people the other side of the coin and, and almost kind of leaving the door open and a few questions unanswered about where we could go next and what we could do next and all that sort of stuff. So it was a sort of, I like to think of it as, you know, the album's question mark. Been a pleasure to speak to you, Justin, about a and classic you, album in our view. You're now 10 years older, 10 years wiser. You just had the 10th anniversary of this album as well. How does it feel to you looking back at it after all this time? You said you're proud of it. We've labelled it a classic album. Do you feel the same? You know, I'm incredibly proud of it. And I, you know, I don't think, I think it often takes time for, for, for people, to, you know, 
and, and the dust to settle for people to really understand what a record means and what it means to people and all that sort of thing. And I don't know if I'm well enough placed to know exactly what that is, but it's always gratifying to hear how many people connected to it so deeply and yeah, on a scale much larger than any of us ever imagined. So yeah, it's amazing. Justin, as I said, been an absolute pleasure. Good luck with the new album, Back in Love City, which is out now, hopefully in a decade's time. We're having a conversation, looking back on that as a classic album too. Thanks, mate. Thank you. The Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. That was all right, wasn't it? I think that's the first time I've ever spoken to Justin from The Vaccines, but what a lovely fella. Really enjoyed talking about their debut album, What Did You Expect from The Vaccines? And I hope you enjoyed listening to me talking about their debut album, What Did You Expect from The Vaccines? There is loads more to go out in this series. If this is your first excess long player, take a look at some of the episodes we've recorded before. If you like The Vaccines, I reckon you'll probably like the episode we did with The Wombats on a guide to love, loss and desperation. You'll probably like The Strokes episode. I chatted to the producer of Is This It, Gordon Raphael. That was a great chat and very similar vibes between the Vaccines album and that Strokes album. And maybe have a go at the Kaiser Chiefs as well, talking employment with Simon Ricks. That's just a few of the episodes in this series. Go and listen to them. And if you like what you hear, please do subscribe to this podcast and make sure you leave us a review as well. Cheers for your ears. I'll see you next week for another Excess Long Player. Access Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester.